Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and it is delightful to have you with us. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here as well. Carol, it's great to be with you. Hey, thank you, Ron. Nice to be here today. And we're going to be talking about a topic that, uh, while we're applying it to caregiving, uh, really affects so many folks, especially because of the economic turmoil uh, that followed COVID-19. Managing caregivers' debt as a result of COVID-19 and other circumstances in their lives and I suspect that Caregiver uh, SOS on air and uh, at the Charitable Foundation, you hear from folks who need help. Well, absolutely. And I can tell you that from uh, my work with the Raise Committee, uh, the issue of debt uh, and the insecurity, the financial insecurity that caregivers suffer is one of the most significant topics that comes up over and over again. Wow. Well, we're being joined by Amanda Singleton. She's the managing attorney at Singleton Legal in St. Petersburg, Florida. She's an AARP family caregiving expert, writes and speaks on financial and legal issues that affect caregivers. And she, uh, as an attorney, uh, works with caregivers and their families as well. She founded and operates Caregivers in the Workplace, which trains employers to better serve employees who are family caregivers. And boy, is that something that's needed. Amanda, thanks for coming on Caregiver SOS on air. Great to have you with us. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Ron and Carol. What attracted you to that field, working with caregivers? Well, it was like most people who end up in the caregiving industry. It was a personal experience. Um, At the age of 30, I became a caregiver for my mother. Uh, She had terminal cancer. She was suddenly diagnosed. One day I was getting started in my career and a newlywed with a new mortgage and all of that. And within 24 hours, I was a 24 hour a day caregiver. And so from that experience, you know, my whole life changed and I've caregiven since then. And it's just a calling. What was that experience like? Because it literally turned your life upside down. It did. Um, it did. It's, I think, a common story of what happened. I really went about it in a reactive way because I didn't know what to do. And all I wanted to do was make sure my mom was taken care of the best way possible to a bit of my own peril, you know, peril, a bit of my emotional and mental well-being, my financial well-being. Most of the things that were the structure of my life took a back seat during the caregiving experience. And I cared for my mom for a year and three days and I still wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the experience of doing it, but I would change how I went about it. But it's all, you know, that's life. You know, you, you don't know until you know. Well, and that's... How would you have changed it? No, I was just going to say, you know, that I, I, the key word I heard was reactive. Um, and so, you know, on the subject, uh, and, you know, you, you work with working caregivers and finances, and it is that reactive. You don't think about the impact on you personally, right? Because your mom mm-hmm. needs you. Uh, and, and, and that's a hard place to be in. So I, uh, you know, how do, how do we slow our, how do we slow down 
can we slow down uh, to be more intentional caregivers? Do you think there was a way you could have, you know, thought about it differently at the time? I think that my biggest takeaway is that planning prevents that reactivity, having conversations with your loved ones and putting pieces in place and a plan in place before something happens. So you're not crisis planning. So you're not trying to stamp out several fires at once. You know, Um, I think that that is the bigger issue. And then just understanding that it's not bad. It's not a bad stroke of luck. You know, it wasn't something that, you know, is special that happened to me and everyone's going to caregive at some point or need caregiving. So to just say, oh, that's something that happens to other people is not fair. So I think the conversation needs to revolve around at some point, you will need this. So you have to talk to the people in your life, your family and social circles, so that you can make the plan for if that really, really rainy day comes. That's good advice. And we'll get back to it in a moment. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Amanda Singleton, an attorney, works with AARP Family Caregiving, uh, is an expert in trying to help folks who are faced with, as she was, uh, that challenge of being a caregiver. Let's talk about money and the challenges not only uh, that caregiving brings, very often uh, giving up what your outside income may have been, uh, estimates of somewhat over $300,000 lost by people who become caregivers. Uh, And in COVID-19, many people also lost their jobs or were laid off and didn't have a source of income. Talk to me about debt and caregiving. I mean, that's correct. You're so right on with that number, you know, the estimated every time a caregiver steps into that role, they take a, their career takes backseat. And so there are lost wages, benefits, social security. It creates a bit of cyclical poverty and lower socioeconomic status for people, primarily women, who are multi, multi-time caregivers throughout their lives. So um, what we know now is it doesn't always need to be that way. The system of things needs to change. Um, COVID, you rightly pointed out, it did throw a big wrench in things. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me last year was during all of the departures from the workforce during COVID, which ran parallel to a lot of people becoming caregivers for the first time, becoming at-home caregivers when they didn't expect to, that in December, I want to say it was 140,000 jobs were lost. And every single one of those jobs belonged to a person who identified as a woman. And conversely, 16,000 jobs were gained and those were gained by men. So there's a conversation that needs to be had about keeping caregivers in their jobs to prevent that long-term financial detriment. Um, That is the, you know, the bigger picture issue. And then just in the short term, how do caregivers get on top of things when it starts getting expensive? Because it does get expensive really quickly um, in the cases of diagnosis and deteriorating conditions. Uh, you know, that's a great point that, um, you know, it, I think before COVID, some of the male caregiving was catching up. We were like at 60, 40, uh, but certainly we saw astronomical uh, changes with women in the workforce during COVID. And so I'm, I haven't seen any new numbers. I'm not sure if they're out or not, um, but caregiving is still 
it was already, you know, more women than men. It still is a woman's issue. Aging is a woman's issue. Uh, the financial inequities in our society are, you know, fall disproportionately upon women. Uh, and so, you know, who, how do we, how do we, how do we help ourselves? We as women, how do we help ourselves um, and to take care of our families to, and still to take care of ourselves because that debt we take on, you know, you mentioned the, the 300,000 plus we have less for our own children there. It's generational. What we don't sometimes don't realize is that not only are we taking on that burden on ourselves, we're passing that on to our family members. You know, I agree with that. It's a really sound point and it is an all of us issue. I'm curious to see how things shake down now in the next 10 years. So when I was 20 years old and, you know, doing my aging studies degree at FSU, we talked about the caregiving cliff, what's going to happen in the year 2030 when we get at the point where we have more people who need care than caregivers who are able to provide it. And I just feel like COVID just put the pedal to the metal on that. And, you know, here we are. Um, So in answer to your question, how do we address it for women specifically? You know, gosh, if I had the answers, you know, I would have a really big um, problem solved, wouldn't I? (laughs) But I think the important thing is knowing how far we've come, you know, how far we've come. Even in just the last five years, there is a greater awareness of caregiving issues. There are moves in policy and regulation and just societal understanding that this is not tenable. This needs to change. So employers are making a difference. You know, um, public figures are recognizing that this is something that is a part of life. And the way we've been doing things is not going to work anymore because most households that have uh, more than one breadwinner require more than one breadwinner. We all do, you know, and most people do require working and caregiving. We can't just step away from our jobs. Um, six in 10 caregivers are employed. You know, that's the majority. So just focusing on these changes that it felt like a long time coming, but I do think that a lot is happening and very quickly and it is being recognized that change is ne- necessary to keep right. No, I think you made it. I think the hopefulness and I've heard hopefulness, you know, among all of the sort of bad news uh, in that the Biden administration proposing is infrastructure and the audacity of proposing taking care of families as infrastructure uh, for America. Uh, It was, you know, a lot of people are astounded, A, that it happened and B, that you would call it infrastructure. But you know how do how do people get back to work if they can't have someone take care of their children or take care of their you know loved ones that may need special care? That's right, and I I don't see another way. And I'll tell you, like last year, I was caregiving for my husband who was incapacitated; he couldn't stand or walk. Our daughter was um, homeschooled for a period of time. You know, our social circles were nominal because we weren't seeing anybody. So even just that the regular help of a friend who would drop off a meal or take a child for an hour, all that went away. It is not doable. No, you know, I, I've said in a few articles, like no caregiver is an island. And I know we feel like islands a lot. And some people are really truly isolated in their caregiving role, but it's not, it's not 
the right way. <laughs> it's not the right way to um, to be able to be healthy and sound and have really long term caregiving success for the caregiver, but also for you know the care partner. They have better outcomes if the caregiver isn't burnt out and trying to do it all. You know, that's right. And, and you and talk about. I, I was going to say you talk about in your uh, legal practice. You and your husband are partners in Singleton Law Firm. Uh, you you work with and counsel caregivers before they become caregivers and caregivers as they become and caregivers who are caregiving. I want to find out in just a minute uh, what it is you tell them, how you work with them and what kind of help you can get them uh, to to focus on uh, the finances and the debt that they are about uh, to incur. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernial. We were talking with attorney Amanda Singleton uh, and she works with caregivers. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregivers' stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Please, you're sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And our special guest, Amanda Singleton, earned her JD degree, law degree, cum laude, from Stetson University College of Law, earned her BS and certificate degree in aging studies from Florida State University, and she is licensed in all Florida state courts, several federal courts, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, where she is an accredited attorney. And that leads me, Amanda, to talk with you a little bit about what you do in your practice to help caregivers, to counsel caregivers, to support caregivers. Well, no one understands caregivers' issues more than somebody who's been there. So I can see the light turn on for people when they've been through it with a parent or a child or um, just someone special in their life. When we start addressing the what happens if you become a caregiver, what happens if you need caregiving conversation, they already have, they come with a little bit of history and they can say, I don't want what happened to them to happen to me. So what can we do? And for me, the biggest thing that I want to do is keep people from meeting my husband. My husband is a board certified bankruptcy attorney, and I don't want anybody who passes through our doors to end up seeing him because caregiving got too out of hand, they took on liability for someone else, whatever it is, the things that happen, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable, but I do feel, you know, there are things that we can do and talk about in the planning, the pre-caregiving process that can avoid them sitting down for a bankruptcy consultation with my husband, who's delightful, but I don't want that to ever happen um, because it's a hard, hard thing. So the first step is planning ahead. And then the second step is getting people to recognize that they're caregivers and to come in as soon as possible because most caregivers don't reach out for resources until they're in it for a while because of all the things you've heard about. You know, they don't identify as a caregiver. They think they can keep things going. It's only at a breaking point that they start to reach out for resources. 
Um, so to me, early and often conversations about caregiving are a way to prevent debt, to prevent that financial strain. So what well, kind what of planning? I'm sorry. Yeah, what kind of what kind of planning do do people need to do? Always having their legal documents in order, you know, to avoid becoming um, a part of the court system, for example, by way of a guardianship, just issues with legal bills and things there, knowing what they are responsible for versus what they are not responsible for. Um, that can get really murky for people in a time of illness. If you have the right legal authority in certain documents, such as a power of attorney, um, certain trusts, then you can act for somebody. You have the legal authority to act on their behalf, but you're not taking on their liabilities. So you can do things like sign someone into a facility, but not be the responsible paying party, things like this, you know, things that you don't know. Um, and when you're sitting there sometimes doing paperwork, admitting someone to a nursing home and they say, here, sign this. And you oops, drop your pen, um, you sign your name and, um, you know, then all of a sudden you're getting bills with your name on them, things like that that can be avoided. You just need the knowledge of, you know, how to do it when the time comes. So um, do you think you were talking about these planning documents? Do people, Some people would say, oh, I could just pull down those forms on the internet. What advice would you give to people who want to be their own attorney on the internet? I wrote an article about this last year um, for AARP. It was at the beginning of the lockdown um, when people were understandably very concerned about the state of affairs of what this virus was and what it was going to look like. And in that article, I said, I do not discourage people from educating and helping themselves where appropriate. Um, there are some things that are so nuanced and do require explanation for most people. Forms online frequently are wrong um, or they don't meet the formality requirements of a different state, whatever it is, um, worth its weight and gold to talk to someone who can say, yes, this is what you should do because saving a couple hundred bucks usually costs people like tens of thousands on the back end. So um, while I want everyone to be at their comfort level and educate themselves and do whatever it is they need to do. Just, you know, a word of caution uh, is my best advice on that point. Right. So, you know, in caregiving, there are investments that you might make and investing in an attorney to help get your legal affairs in order is a good investment. That's what you want to spend the money on. It's a good one. And just assembling your caregiving team, you know, it's not just attorneys, it's your financial advisors, it's your insurance agents, your accountants, you know, your friends, your family, everyone is a big piece of this. And for the caregivers, a lot of caregivers are financial contributors or at a minimum financial coordinators for their care partners. So they need to have the information they need to know, and that saves money for them as well. So it's really, it's such a team approach to it. And really, as we age, you know, like we never know what life is going to hold. Um, but as we age, we know that there are some, there are more possibilities that we do need caregiving statistically. Now, so in your own time case, to address it, you know, when your mother was diagnosed with cancer, you suddenly become a caregiver. Did you have any knowledge of her finances at that time? And was she open with you? No. <laughs> No, she was 60. Um, I, she did not expect it, but we had a lost opportunity. Um, you know, I 
was the adult child of divorced parents. So my folks got divorced in my 20s. And it was really scorched earth. They did not want really anything to do with each other. So in the few times that my mom needed help with something, I was the one, right? So she had a cardiac cath. She had one of those um, procedures. And we probably could have talked about it then, you know, like, okay, so what happens if, you know, and so on. But we didn't. And I don't think I had the maturity or foresight to address it, you know, and I don't, I don't know what her mindset was on it. I really never got the opportunity. Um, She did, Carol, she did do some documents that she pulled from the internet. I probably should have told you that story (laughs) you asked, Um, but she went, she was getting back into vacationing. She was having fun. She, single lady, took herself to Europe a few times, went to Egypt. She's having a great time. Um, doing that. And before she went on her last trip, she gave me her living will and her healthcare surrogate. And they were from one of the online forms. And she said, if you ever need it, my will is in this place in the house. And so I didn't really think about it, you know, until she passed away. And then I pulled the will out and it just, it wasn't good. It cost me, you know, I I wouldn't have even had to probate anything. She didn't have anything, you know, Um, but if she had just talked to someone, she could have gotten her plan a little bit more short up than, um, than pulling forms offline. So I guess the takeaway there is if someone says everything is taken care of, don't believe them. And, um, and show me the papers, trust and verify. Trust and verify. Yeah, it's hard to talk to people about their finances. They're private. You know, that's that's the thing. The conversation with my mom, I mean, I don't think I could inquire, you know, at that age and say, well, are you set up for retirement? Are you set up in case you need long term care? I think, you know, it's not a like a child being like, I'd like to know what my inheritance is going to be. It's just more I'd like to know if we need to buy some insurance here. But, you know, again, it, I, I think you're at a disadvantage as the younger um, generation kind of addressing those issues with um, the older ones. So it is more incumbent on the older generations to take those reins and be as transparent as is comfortable, you know, as gets the job done. You know, you don't need to say, here's everything, but you can say, here's what we have set up. Right. And I think that's fair because you do get sacked with a, you know, you do get sacked with figuring everything out if you are in the shoes like I was. Yeah. And, and if, and through planning, you may have the opportunity, like my mother would never discuss finance with me. If you, if I wanted her to become enraged, like right now was just mention mm-hmm. money. It was a trigger right. for her, Absolutely. but she would talk to somebody else. And so if you plan ahead, you have time for your mother or your father or someone to have a conversation with a third party with whom they are comfortable discussing things to get things taken care of, even if it's not you. Absolutely. And, you know, that's completely fair. It's a a hot issue for a lot of people. You know, culturally, we're not we're not conditioned to discuss it. It's private. Um, So that makes sense. But, yeah, a neutral advisor. Absolutely. Someone who doesn't have skin in the game. You know, that's usually the person who can break through. And for me, when I'm counseling people and I can see that some of the warmer, more emotional aspects of planning isn't appealing to them, I can usually appeal to their wallet um, by saying, you know, you could do this now and this will save this much. It will cost you this much now versus if you don't do this, this is what it costs for the alternative. And that 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 clicks something with people and they say, okay, so it is important. 
yes. <laughs> yes, it is important. Well, uh, how, how often does somebody show up and it's too late for mom or dad to sign the documents? Well, you know, I've never really kept track. You know, I've never really kept track of the, you know, a, a ratio of people who come in the door. It happens. It's happening today, actually. I'm talking to someone later, and I think we're going to have to have the difficult conversation and just say, I would love to do your documents for you. I know I cannot because we've spoken three times, and every time you've told me something different, and there, there are just questions of capacity here. Um, it does happen. It's never too late to to address things, but sometimes you just can't go about it by way of doing things like a will or, you know, healthcare surrogate. You just got to do things a little bit differently. You, you pivot. Right. Yeah. Sometimes. What you know, are some just, of the, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ron. What are some of the key documents? We've got about a minute left uh, that somebody ought to have as they go into caregiving. Oh, great question. Um, I can do it in under a minute. Um, this is not legal advice. This is just general information. Consult an attorney in your state of residence for information about what happens in your state. You need to appoint someone who can handle your medical needs and your financial and legal needs if you're incapacitated. You need to address issues relating to benefits if you are receiving public benefits for any reason to ensure that you never uh, become ineligible for them. Um, so those at a minimum. And then addressing what assets you do have, because if you have a checking account, you've got assets and that there are simple ways that you can pass things to the people you want to inherit them and avoid court fees, avoid lawyer fees. So it's worthwhile. So get an expert and you did it in less than a minute. Thank you. Amanda Singleton, a delight talking with you. And uh, I'm sure we'll get you back again at some point in the future. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.